if you can talk my wife into it. All right. Amen. Amen. So uh, when we talk about Pentecost, the first question I want to just address is what is Pentecost? I mean, that is a word that you use every day, right, in your common vocabulary, right? Right when you go to Walmart or you go to school, you, you Pentecost, that comes up, right? No, it doesn't, right? It does come up in Scripture, though. And, and Pentecost is just, it's a Greek word that means 50, okay? So pent, pent, pentagon, and things. And it, it, we, that's where we get 50, okay? Five or, t- or 50. So it means 50. It was a, a feast, a festival um, celebrated by the Jewish people. It was the feast of the grain to celebrate the grain harvest, the bringing in of the grain harvest. It was an annual festival that they celebrated every year, and it happened 50 days after Passover. All right, so that's where we get the term Pentecost, okay? It doesn't really have anything to do, um, you know, with prior to that, to the day of what we call the day of Pentecost. It had nothing to do about the Holy Spirit or anything. It had to do with celebrating the grain harvest that was coming in. So for us, that would be like in the fall time. For them, it was... um, Roughly about this time, all right? So it was 50 days after Pentecost. So if you want to go back and look, you're going to have to have a pen, um, piece of paper. Exodus 23, Exodus 34, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16 are chapters in the Old Testament that talk about this feast, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, all right? So then in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see that uh, happen as... Uh, God pours out his Holy Spirit. 3,000 are saved that day, come to know Christ uh, in Jerusalem. And so when we use the term Pentecost or Pentecostal, though, so you'll hear that used in Christian circles from time to time. Um, what does that mean? What does it mean? Hey, I'm a Pentecostal. What does that mean? Baptized in the Holy Ghost, okay, filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it means that we have the same spirit that empowered the early church and gifted them for ministry is still available for the believer today to reach our world for Christ, okay? So I think if you're using in the term and somebody says, well, you're Pentecostal, it means that you still believe that the Holy Spirit is still working in the church today as he was back in the early church. Does that make sense? All right. And so, um, and I'll talk a little more about that. I think that's what that means. Now, a a similar term is charismatic. How many have heard of the term charismatic? So that was a movement that came across our nation in the 70s. Um, I had family, close relatives that were Catholic that were deeply touched by the charismatic movement. And um, their lives were totally turned upside down through that. Um, They were what I'd call very nominal Christians at best before that, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, their lives are totally different. And they chose to stay within the Catholic Church, um, and God worked through them and in them in that context. So uh, when I went to Regent University, Regent was a charismatic renewal school, renewal school. So, um, so there I, you know, I was in classes with people from Baptist, Episcopal, um, Lutheran, uh, charismatic, all different types of walks of life. What we had in common is that we knew Jesus and that we were open to the filling, infilling of the Holy Spirit and for God to work in people's lives today. So, all right. So it was, uh, I really appreciated that experience. 
in Acts 2, 38 through 39. So I'm going to be jumping all over the place, so you can take notes if you want to. Um, after the d- day of Pentecost, you know, it, it comes upon people. Peter says, hey, this gift, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, this promise is for you, your children, and for all whom the Lord will call. So I think in that last part, it's saying, hey, what? You know what? This gift wasn't just for that generation. It's for the, f- the, the following generations, those that would be open to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It is a gift. And that term is a gift. I think that's a good term, isn't it? Um, he says, I have a gift for you. All right, it's a good gift. All right, number two. So this was Rebecca's question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, and that that is a good question because he is spirit. But in Christian terms, we would say he is the third person of the Godhead. So you have one God existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And most Christian denominations hold to that as their common teaching, right? Whether you're Catholic, whether you're Protestant. So that would include Methodist, Lutheran, Assemblies of God, uh, Charismatic. You believe in the Godhead and the three persons existing, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, The portion of Scripture that teaches us the most about who the Holy Spirit is is found in John the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16. So this is your homework for this afternoon. But there, that's where Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, okay? But I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word there is paraclete. And I don't always share the Greek, but only when it's beneficial. But, you know, we are familiar with in the schools, we have paraeducators, right? Their job is to come along the teacher and to help the teacher, right? They come alongside. That is what that word in the Greek means, para. It means to come alongside. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper, the one that comes alongside us to help us. And so as you go through those chapters, he's the one that will guide us into all truth. He's the one that's going to give us the boldness and the confidence to tell others about Christ. You know, and you ever been in that kind of, I don't know what to say, right? I've heard people say, I don't know what to say. You know, and they assume I'm a pastor. I didn't know exactly what to say, right? And um, But there, you go into some situations. Sometimes you go into a hospital room. Sometimes you're in a conversation with somebody. And yeah, we, c- we can have knowledge. Be- being able to know what is the Spirit saying in that situation and how does God want to minister to them. That is not always up here, folks. Sometimes it comes through the Holy Spirit and God is able to guide and direct us. So one of the things that we already covered in the book of Acts is when the the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin and and they should have been intimidated out of their mind, right? Because they were unschooled. And it says that they were unschooled people, all right? But they noted that they had been with Jesus and now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter on the day of Pentecost, it says, "And and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to speak. So there was that direct connection as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a boldness. There was a confidence. They knew what they were supposed to say. It just wasn't their own inklings. It was the Holy Spirit guiding and directing what they had to say. And just as God did that for them, God, I believe, can help you. You say, man, I don't know the Bible from front to back. 
I don't either. I know a lot of where things are at, right? I don't have it all memorized. Some people maybe even have it memorized. But to take that and apply it to a given situation, I mean, even to add life to themselves is a different story. To be led by the Holy Spirit. God can use you if your life is open to Him and saying, God, I want you to flow through me. And, and we develop, we learn to hear His voice. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you talk about who is the Holy Spirit, He is God's Spirit placed within us. And the, and the one thing I would just clarify, He is the person of the Holy Spirit. And He's not a substance. Substance, you know, and some of the terminology that we see in Scripture, and God, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. That's kind of like he's going to pour a bucket of water on us, right? And there is that aspect of it, but he is the person of the Holy Spirit that we have a relationship with, that we learn to walk with, to hear his voice, and to be led by. And so develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit. He comes in you at the moment of salvation. Amen? All right. He's at work in our lives. Did I answer it? Okay. All right. Okay. Number three. Let's look at the promise a little bit. Uh, we've been alluding to this. So Dan read from Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29. And Joel was written to a time in Israel's history where they had come under judgment. God had allowed them to be judged and because they drifted away from God. And then it was locusts that came in and devoured the land, just stripped everything bare. And, um, but then God sends Joel and says, hey, I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten. Have you ever heard that phrase? God will restore what the locusts have eaten. My mom loves that statement. So. Um, but it, that's taken from Joel, that God was going to totally restore Israel and bring it back to health. And then he says afterward, pointing to another day that it was still out there, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. All people. And that's significant because in the Old Testament, God placed his spirit upon kings, David, Saul, Solomon, prophets, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He placed it on certain people, but we don't see that he, it was placed upon all people. But the promise is there's a day coming when I'm going to place my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So we see that it doesn't matter your age. You can be even young and God can place his Holy Spirit upon you. Amen? So even when our children are, Amy's teaching, both Amy's are teaching, that God can be speaking and working through their lives. Your old men will dream dreams, so God doesn't forget about us in our old age, does he? Um, young men will see visions, both on my servants, men and women, I'll pour up my spirit in those days. So then we even see there's no difference between gender, men and women, even between social class, servant. You can be the lowest on the totem pole of social class. And God says, that doesn't matter. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Amen? So that's a beautiful promise. Um, if you jump ahead then to the gospel of Luke, Luke was not an eyewitness, but he interviews eyewitness people, right? And he quotes the words of Jesus in that last chapter, Luke 24. And some of those last verses, he um, is quoting what Jesus would say. And Jesus said he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. 
and the repentance of forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are the witnesses of these things. Okay, so they were going to witness his death, his resurrection, right? And they had been part of his teaching. Now God wanted them to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to tell the world around them of who Jesus was, right? Right? And, and of course, the world was very welcoming to their message, right? Right? No. No. Stephen, they stoned, right? That didn't go very well, right? Paul, stoned and left for dead. Often he was ran out of the towns he was in after he had shared Christ. But he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Okay, there's the promise. But stay in the city in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Okay, so that is talking about the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then that is repeated in his book of Acts. So Luke writes Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. And in chapter 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And, and after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, Okay, even one time, 500 people saw the resurrected Christ and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while they were eating with them, he gave, this, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now we have that term baptized. So if you, how many have been baptized in water? You don't have to raise your hand, but yeah. So when you're baptized, we believe in immersion. It means we dunk you all under. I get, I get you completely wet, right? Yep, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. um, you're immersed in the water. And I, I think that term, so Luke will use the terms baptized or being filled. But both of those terms talk about that the presence of the Holy Spirit is in us and around us and encompasses every aspect of our life. And as they, as they gathered around him, they asked, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Hey, when is all this going to go down? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the days or the times that the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There it comes upon. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we've been talking about that in our series in Acts. That's the promise. Let's look a little bit at the fulfillment. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to turn there myself. All right, Acts chapter 2. So we see the fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. So it was this feast and festival, all right? And people were in Jerusalem, not just from Jerusalem and Judea, but from where? All over Rome, all over the place where the Jewish population had spread. And you can see that long list there, um, 9, verse 9 and through 10 and 11. You see all, even we were there, folks. Cretans were there, right? It says Cretans, we were there. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. So they, 
something they could hear. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. So it was something that they could see, hear and see. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, so the term used there is filled, and began to speak in other tongues. You can use languages there. Uh, that's the idea, as the Spirit enabled them. So it is something that they were, yes, they were cooperating with the Spirit, but the Spirit was providing the words that they were to speak. They had to speak them. But it was part of their worship. So when you're worshiping God, right, whether it's singing or in your own prayer time, you're, you're just following the leading of the Holy Spirit and you're praying, right? And sometimes you kind of even pray with the Spirit and He gives you the words to speak. That's what we see with tongues, okay? It's just that you kind of like, oh, I don't, it's not English, right? Okay, yeah. But we're going to talk more about that, all right? And so they were staying in Jerusalem. All sorts of people under heaven were there because of Pentecost. Do you think God had a, you know, do you think God chose the day of Pentecost for a reason? Absolutely. Because there was people from all over. They experienced Pentecost. Some of those people get saved that day. They accept Christ as the Lord and their Savior. And then what happens? What do they do? They go back home, right? And they take the message and what had happened in their life, they take that back home to where they're at. So God definitely knew what he was doing when he gave them the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All right, he preaches, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The crowd, some of the people were open to it. Some of them were mocking him, say, hey, you're, you're, you know, you've had too much to drink, right? Because they, they didn't understand what was happening, right? Um, and so Peter explained it to the best that he could under the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 accept Christ that day. And then we know that the church begins to expand. All right? So that was what happened on the day of Pentecost. This fifth point here is Pentecost for today. What does that mean for today? How does that look for us as a church? Are we in the 21st century or 22nd century? Uh, what does that look like for us today? So there's a few points. I, these are letters, so I think Chris has them all uh, listed here. So a few things, even questions. So the Holy S number, letter A, not number, but letter A is the Holy Spirit enters your life at the moment of salvation. So this is often a, a common question. Um, the minute you inv invite Christ into your heart and your life, the Holy Spirit's there. You cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you it brings you to that place like, um, oh, man, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? I'd say thank you, Holy Spirit, right? Because without that conviction, you would go on, you would go on thinking I'm okay. I got it all together. I don't need God. But it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says you're not okay. I need God. I'm a hopeless, lost sinner without His grace and mercy. So, the Holy Spirit enters our life. And, and so Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, they talk about that, what it means to be born again. And you can't be born again without the Spirit of God making us alive to Christ and working in our lives. So the Spirit of God enters you at the moment of salvation. That, has, that is just good teaching there, okay? All right, but what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is that the same thing? Well, I mean... We, even within some of our scholars, some of them feel we're filled at the moment of salvation. Others see it as the distinctive. Our, 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 
our doctrine is that it is a distinctive work of grace in the life of a Christian. In other words, it's separate from our salvation experience. And that's what we see throughout most of the book of Acts. All right? So on the day of Pentecost, how many would think that the apostles are saved? Right? Yeah, I think they were. Yep. They were saved. They were preaching Jesus, right? But they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right? So it was a separate event. And then you go to um, Acts chapter 8. Philip goes up to Samaria. He preaches there. He's not an apostle, but he was one of the seven that was chosen to wait on table, tables along with Stephen. And he begins to preach. And they many people get saved. Even a sorcerer gets saved, right? Simon the sorcerer gets saved and, and converted. And then they bring Peter, Peter and John up, or James and John. Peter, Peter and John. They bring Peter and John up to Samaria. They place hands on them. And it's then that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see that that it was a secondary event that was distinct from salvation. But just to muddy the water a little bit, then you go to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and Peter is, has to be convinced by the Holy Spirit and by these visions that he should go to Cornelius and go into, in, into his home as a Gentile. He was a Gentile, and for Jewish people, they had these restrictions about doing that. He goes there, he tells them about Christ, and before he even gets to the altar call, they accept Christ, and guess what? They begin to speak in tongues, right? It's kind of like, wow, the Jewish people there are saying, man, they've received Christ just as we have. And it was the tongues part that kind of was the evidence that that had happened, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, okay, I will, I will, all right. Um, it, was, it was the tongues part that it was kind of like, okay, it was a message to the Jewish people that are saying, hey, they received just what we have because we've heard them speaking. So what is a little interesting in that is that we don't see the difference between salvation and baptism seem to be pretty much the same event. You follow me? And um, so, and then you go to Acts chapter 10. Uh, well, you go on from there. Um, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's nine, I guess. And then 19 is when uh, John uh, prays, uh, Peter, here we go, Paul prays for the disciples in Ephesus, there we go, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. All right, all right, here we go. So what do we learn from, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a distinctive event. This is what Paul says. Paul doesn't talk much about the separate salvation and then being f filled with the Holy Spirit. What he does say is be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 5, um, 15 through 20, he talks about be wise at how you live, make the most of every opportunity. I'm hitting these fast, Chris. Do not be foolish. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is behavior that comes out of having too much to drink, okay? All right, instead, so you can be under the influence of alcohol and it will impact you and it affects you. Instead, be filled with the what? The Holy Spirit. Speak to another one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
If there's been one thing that has frustrated, frustrated me within the Assemblies of God, um, and for those of you maybe that have grown up in a tradition that has been open to the Holy Spirit, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever, um, one thing that has frustrated me is that whether it's in the church or at a camp, people maybe have that initial experience where they're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues, maybe some of the other gifts of the Spirit there. Um, they have this encounter with God, and then they go on from life and say, man, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, you maybe were back 10, 20 years ago. What about today? And the, the language here in the Greek is very much continuous. Am I filled today with the Holy Spirit? You all leak, okay? All right? You, maybe you were filled with the Holy Spirit back a year ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. That's great. But it is not just this arrival point where I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that I'm continually being filled with the Holy Spirit and that God's power is at work in my life today. Great. Yesterday was great. And we can have some great experiences maybe where the presence of God came in and touched our life. That's great. But we can't live there. It has to be something that's fresh today. Amen? Fresh today. Letter C. Spirit baptism empowers believers with boldness to witness. And that is very evident in the book of Acts. Uh, as people are described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, they have a boldness, a confidence to share with other people to witness. Okay, They were to witness what God had done in their life and what they had seen. Okay, Now, you weren't there. I know some of you are old, but you're not that old. All right. You weren't there for the resurrection. You weren't there for the death of Jesus. But what can you witness to? You can witness to what Jesus has done in your life. That you were a sinner, but now you've experienced God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. That is what He wants you to witness to other people. That you know that Christ is alive, that He's living in me. And that God can give you the boldness and the confidence to share that with other people that need to know that message. Amen? to share your story. Um, and that is very clear in the book of Acts that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us that confidence and boldness. Um, God knows that we all have chicken inside of us, all right? Right? And sometimes when we, you know, if you've walked with Christ very long, you've probably had this moment or this time, probably more than once where you said, man, I was supposed to say something there. You sensed it. I was supposed to say something. I was supposed to talk to that person. And you leave and it's kind of, I blew it. I blew it, right? And why? Because a lot of times we just, we need that little nudge. We depend upon our own, our own strength instead of saying, Holy Spirit, just guide me in this conversation. And give me, if I'm supposed to say it, give me the boldness to say what I'm supposed to say. Amen? Amen? All right. Letter D, spirit baptism opens the door for the gifts of the Spirit. So those are found in, in 1 Corinthians 12. There's three chapters there that deal a lot with the Holy Spirit in Paul's teaching to the church in Corinth. So we'll hit that in the book of Acts where he goes to Corinth and begins the church there. We do pick up that there was, an ab there was abuse there. And by abuse, the, probably abuse in the area of tongues. They were kind of enamored by it, is what I kind of get the impression. But also the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul will spend three chapters uh, talking about the gifts of the Spirit and about the Holy Spirit. 
But in that first part of chapter 12, he says that God, the Holy Spirit is the one that distributes the gifts of the Spirit to God's people. So just some good teaching here is that you do not own the gifts of the Spirit, okay? You can't say, oh, I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of knowledge. No, it's a gift that God is passing through your life at that moment. Maybe he will use you in the gift of prophecy or word of knowledge or healing maybe once. Maybe he'll use it in your life a bunch of times. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. It, uh, they are his gifts that he passes through our life. So you follow me? Um, it's the same spirit. I'm, I'm just kind of summarizing that. Um, that he, and the analogy that has really helped me out, one guest speaker said, it's a gift that God is passing through my life to somebody else. So a gift of healing. Maybe, you know, we pray for people up here. We believe that the gift of healing is going to flow through us to touch somebody's lives. And we've had people healed, divinely healed. And, and so God, through his Holy Spirit, is f- th- flowing through us, and that gift is being distributed to somebody else. They're the recipient of it. Amen? Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the same way. Prophecy, that would be a word of encouragement to the whole body of Christ. What we do see there in those three chapters is that the gifts of the Spirit are to be handled in an orderly way. So when I grew up in the church, I grew up in a Pentecostal assembly God church. Um, and, and so if people had a gift, they want a message in tongues, interpretation, or prophecy, they would just, just kind of blurt it out, right? And that was kind of the way things were done back then. Um, some, of it was, some of it was good. The gifts were flowing and operating. But it also sometimes wasn't always orderly, all right? Um, people came in, they was kind of like, ooh, what just happened, right? There, w- there was always that expression. And, um, and what I've seen that in my generation and in churches today, a lot of them have, have really drifted away from the gifts of the Spirit being evident in a Sunday morning service, okay? Why is that? I think it's because I think if we provide order, to the gifts of the Spirit. It removes some of the craziness, if I can use that word, some of the questions that people have towards it. Um, and so whenever we've had you know, like a message in tongues or something like that, if it has been handled the right way, people kind of like, wow, that was pretty cool, right? And God spoke to us. But when somebody has just kind of blurted it out, it's kind of like it's freaked people out, saying, what was that, right? Because it wasn't handled. So how do we handle it? So what's really worked well in churches especially we're not just a little us four and no more type of deal. You have a bigger group that if, you know, if you have a, feel like God has given you a word of uh, prophecy or knowledge, something God wants to say to the church, that you get my attention. So, you know, I'm the pastor here, or if you're in a different church, I I feel like if you're a guest someplace, really you're kind of, you're sitting in the back seat and you're just observing. Because there is that sense of accountability that I'm part of a body of Christ. And I actually had somebody come into our church. They came in one time. They were guests in our church. It was up in North Dakota. And this lady gave, I think it was a message in tongues, interpretation maybe, or prophecy. But I didn't know who she was. She could have been, I, I don't know. You know, there was no character reference there. So I think there is using the gifts within the body of Christ where there's that integrity factor. Am I you understand me there? I think that's important. So come and get my attention. So a month ago in our service, I really felt like God wanted to speak to us through maybe a prophecy, prophetic word. This really sense is strong. Well, after the service, I found out that God was speaking to uh, one of our ladies. And um, 
she felt like she had a message in tongues but didn't know if there was somebody there to interpret, right? And that's always the question. And so Paul will tell us um, to seek prophecy because of that, okay? Um, so, so she should have probably just came to me and said, hey, I feel like God has a word for us. And then we could have, we could have read, you know, allowed the whole body of Christ to be edified through it. Okay? All right. Letter E. We're going to keep building on this here, but we're, all, we're all only going to G. So 10, 11, 15, the floor falls out here. So All right. All right. E, tongues function as a sign and a gift if interpreted. So this is with the Assemblies of God. It sees it a little bit differently, differently than like a charismatic person would see it. They see tongues as a gift, one of the gifts of the Spirit. The Assemblies of God see it as that, but they also see it as a sign and often an initial sign that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, that is part of our roots. When it happened in Topeka, Kansas, back in 1914, that's where it kind of all began. There had been just a lot of quietness as far as you didn't hear much of the gifts of the Spirit, and all of a sudden they began happening in other parts of the world. It happens in Kansas, and that's kind of the birth of our, the very early birth of our movement. So we see tongues function as a sign, Acts 2.4, right? They speak in other tongues. Acts 10, Cornelius' house there. And then we also see it in Acts 19 where Paul places his hands on these um, disciples. They had been saved, but they didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. So he says, yes, um, we've been baptized in water, but we hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He prays for them. They speak in tongues and they prophesy. So we do see Luke builds the case more that tongues function more as that sign that, hey, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've talked to people in the past where they've been praying in their devotional time, and all of a sudden God gives them this prayer language. It's not English. And it's just that sign that, hey, God, has he's filled me with his Holy Spirit. Now, if you're introverted, you're more likely to be filled with the Holy Spirit worshiping in your car when you're taking a shower. I'm, I'm serious in that. And maybe just in your devotional time. Okay, if you're extroverted, you're just a little more that, you know, if here's a prayer service or whatever, you're going to be a little more open to that. Introverts are a little more, they're afraid what other people are going to think. And so God is just going to fill that place where you're at as you're worshiping him and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's helpful to somebody here. F, tongues function as a prayer language for your own personal edification. So I want us to catch this. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. So as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. 13 is love chapter. Say love chapter, right? So that's where we're at at weddings and stuff. But the context, it's sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14, which talk about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, right? And, and what Paul is getting at is saying, man, you can have the gift of prophecy or gift of healing, gift of faith, but if you don't have love, it's like a clanging cymbal. And if I had a clanging cymbal, it's over there, but it's too far away. Clanging cymbal, it's empty, it's hollow. He says, the gifts of the Spirit are only beneficial, they're only edifying if we function out of love. And so that's where the Corinthian church just had some things that weren't right. I think they were caught up in the gifts and they thought, oh, I've been using the gift of prophecy or tongues. I'm special, right? Okay? And, it, and when that happens, the gifts of the Spirit are void. They actually can do more damage than good. They have to function through love. 
follow the way of love, and eagerly to de- desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So I think that's important. That's something that we should all seek within our own life. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands and they utter mysteries in the Spirit. So he's not saying that tongues are bad. He's just saying in a congregational setting, um, you're the one being blessed. Nobody else around you is being blessed because they can't understand what you're saying. Okay? But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So he's not saying this in a negative way. He's just saying there's a difference between praying in your prayer language and tongues for your edification and the gift of prophecy. And he says, you know what? In a congregational setting, pray that God would use you in the gift of prophecy. You don't have to worry about then can somebody interpret it. And not only will you be blessed, but everybody else will be blessed there. Um, And I think God wants to release the gifts of the Spirit in His church today as He did back then. I think that's what gives... um, There's some life that happens there where we just... Sometimes churches can be just where we go to... we, We clock in, we clock out, we go on our own way, right? It can be good worship, good music, but... We, we need where the Spirit of God speaks to His people, to His church. Amen? G, letter G. Tongues remind us of the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Why tongues? Why this other languages? I, I, I think on the day of Pentecost, it served that not only people did understand what was being said there, did, right? Because they could hear them praising God in their own tongue, and it was kind of like, whoa, that's pretty cool. I would say nine times out of ten or probably... 99 times out of 100, if somebody speaks in tongues or another language, nobody else is going to understand it. God does. Paul says it's the tongues of men and angels. Um, So why tongues? I think it's just a reminder of the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we could be a powerful witness and live boldly for him. And that means that it reminds us that God is calling people from every tribe, nation, tongue, from every language. And it represents heaven. That when we get to heaven, there's going to be people there from every walk of life, every color, every generation, every tongue. And I think it's a reminder, hey, I've given you the Holy Spirit because I want all people to come to know me. Amen? All right, Olivia. Uh, she already, all right. I want to close with Paul's words to the Corinthians. So we've been in Corinthians a lot, but it has a lot to teach us about the Holy Spirit, along with John 14 through 16 and the book of Acts. Acts, we see more the evidence, kind of the wind blowing through the trees, right? As people are filled with the Holy Spirit, we see people healed and delivered, and so we see the, the leaves moving. But Paul provides some instruction. You know, it, it's kind of like we were last week, you know. Um, so all these people get saved on Paul's first missionary journey. It was a great thing, and the Gentiles get saved. But it created its own problems. All these good things that were happening created its own problems because now Jews and Gentiles were going to fellowship together, and it's kind of like, well, there was taboos there, right? And the Jewish people couldn't sit down with 
a Gentile family, especially if that meat had been offered to idols, there was just kind of like, there was things that they had to work through, the teaching part. So often when the God is working in the church and in the lives of people, then you have to follow it up by teaching because um, sometimes it gets a little messy. Sometimes we don't like messes in churches, right? But I can guarantee you if God is working by His Spirit, there's always messiness in the church because people are growing. None, people don't come in and get saved and they're mature adults. Christian believers, filled with the Holy Spirit. They got their act together. That never happens. People come in like a fish. If you want to eat a fish, you have to clean it, right? I'm not, we're not going to eat you guys, but, um, but, <laughs> but as believers, we have to go through that process, right? That's discipleship. That's growing. So if you want a sterile church, you can have a sterile church. I just don't think you're going to see a lot of people come to know Christ there. Um, this is what Paul says in, Second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1-5. through five. When I came to you, I did not come in eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, I, I think we all need to learn how to speak and speak good, and I'm still learning that. But I don't think wise and persuasive words are going to change our world. It's only as we minister out of our brokenness and our humanity and the Spirit's power. That's what I see in Paul's life. That's what I see in Peter's life. That's what I see in all the people in Scripture. They were not perfect people. A lot of them were deeply flawed. Not just flawed, they were deeply flawed. But God worked through them as they were open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so I believe our world needs people that are, yeah, they know about Christ and they've experienced Him, but they also are led by the Spirit of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit today is in their life today. So my question, you stand this morning. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit in the past, my question for you today is, how are things today? Would you describe your life on a scale of 1 to 10, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is there evidence? Do you sense the Spirit's power? But more than that, would you describe yourselves as being full of the Holy Spirit? And maybe, um, maybe you've come to know Christ, but you've never sensed the Holy Spirit come upon your life, giving you that boldness to be a witness, that confidence in that area, just sensed His, the Holy Spirit moving in your life. You know, maybe today's your day or maybe as you leave today and you just make that your matter of prayer this week, God's just going to meet you where you're at. Maybe you're driving down the road, maybe you're in your prayer time, and you just sense the Holy Spirit come in. You know, the picture of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, Scripture is often the what? What animal? The dove. Yeah. The morning dove, right? The dove. You know, they're just so gentle, right? calm and peaceful. You hear them in the mornings and the evenings. 
Um, that's how the Spirit of God describes himself. And uh, I've never known the Holy Spirit to force himself upon a person. And so it's a gift to us that's available to say, God, if you, if we say, God, here, here's my life, I'm ready to receive your gifts, that's what, he's not going to give you a serpent or a snake. He's going to give you the gift of his spirit because he loves us. He wants to help us. He wants us to be able to be a witness but also live for him, not at a disadvantage, but with a full advantage because he's given us his spirit. Amen? Amen. So, as we close with this closing song, um, I'm just going to encourage you. I don't know if you raised your hands in the past or not. Maybe you do all the time. Maybe you haven't. But would you close your eyes and just say, God, here I am to receive. Maybe the arms extended and open, just saying, God, I'm ready to receive the gift of your spirit this morning. Would you make that your prayer? I don't know what stage you're at, um, but would you just open it? And if you want, you said, man, I, I don't think I've ever been filled that initial time, and I would really like you to pray with me. Just make your way forward, and I'll pray with you. I'm not going to do anything weird or funny. I'm just going to pray with you, agree with you, stand with you. So um, so if that's you, you can make your way forward. I'd love to pray with you, but if you just want to make that your prayer where you're seated, that is fine too. But would you just in these last few moments that we have, can we just say, God, come and fill your church, come and fill your people with your Holy Spirit and your power. Father, this morning we just come to you as your people. Uh, you're, we're the people of God. We've been called by your name. We've been called out of darkness into your glorious light. And Lord God, to be that presence in the world, Lord God, uh, you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can live victoriously for you, Lord, and to be that witness. And Lord God, you haven't left us as an orphan. You haven't left us on our, on our own, but you've given us the gift of the Spirit to equip us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead will dwell within us, allowing us even in our inadequacies to be effective witness for you, to glorify you, to build your church, and to be who you've called us to be. And so, Lord God, come, fill this place, fill our hearts and our lives this morning. And if you, if you need prayer for just to be filled with the Spirit, I'm here. Um, but I know there's also some that just need a healing touch this morning. I'm going to have you. Um, uh, Bob, we're going to agree, agree with Bob Johnson. He just found out this week he has kidney cancer. And uh, so we're just going to pray for wisdom, but also just for... Amen. Prophet Ezekiel was given a vision. It was a valley of dry bones. A vast army, but all that was left was these bones. God says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, only you know. And when the Spirit of God entered them, they came to life. The bones clicked together. Flesh clothed the bones and then skin. And then they were filled with life. Sometimes I think the church is a little bit like the valley of dry bones were there, but there's just not a lot of life. And without the Spirit of God flowing through us and in us. Mm. Father, this morning, we are your people. Go with your people. 
And just in our conversations this week and the people we meet, a lot of the ministry that we do is not going to happen inside church walls. It's going to happen as we're working, as we're shopping, as we're doing recreational things, Lord God. It's going to be as we connect with people that, God, you're going to open up those doors to people, whether it's a friend or somebody we have no idea who they are, but God puts them in our pathway because they're need, they're seeking, maybe they're searching. And God, you put us in their pathway to minister to them, to share Christ, to share what you've done in our life, and to share the hope within us. So Lord God, go with us this week. Bless our Memorial Day gatherings, Lord God. Uh, Keep us safe. Bless our time with our family. And Lord God, uh, as we travel, and uh, bring us back next week, God, work in our hearts and our lives. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. As you go, if you are interested in meeting on Wednesday nights in that class, would you just join me up here real fast so I know who you are? Would you just make your way up here? And uh, it'll take less than a minute.